The following is a conversation with Sebastian Park. He's been in esports for a long time now, covering a span of activities from managing Dota teams to even working with the NBA in their esports crossover. He's got a ton of business experience and knows the industry very well, and has recently been working on solving this gap we have between hiring and finding qualified candidates within the esports industry. That attempt was known as the Esports Certification, or ECI, that just launched a practice exam and started opening up for new patrons for $400 a pop to take their program. It was met with a lot of vitriol and ended up going viral on Twitter, spawning all sorts of articles and leading us to this place of really intense criticism coming towards people that I think were in it with the best of intentions. He was on a show with Richard Lewis Thorne and Monte Cristo yesterday where they grilled him hard, and I would encourage you to check that out if you really want to dive deep into the nuts and bolts of this. In my conversation, we focus on some of the positive aspects, some of the intentions, um, and other possible solutions to this problem as we explore the gap that exists in the current market space. If you enjoyed this conversation, remember to give us a follow here on YouTube, find us on iTunes, find us on Spotify. Your follows and comments mean the world. All right, folks, welcome back to another Zyori Plus One. We've had a short hiatus as the DPC season has been underway, but I'm excited to be back with uh, kind of an impromptu episode here. We got Sebastian Park. For those of you in the Dota and esports space, you probably recognize him. He's been around for a long time. I think we first met in like 2014, probably. Yeah, that sounds about right. 2015, yeah. I think, when I was still working at BTS uh, when I was over in Cali still. So um, it, it's been a while since we've chatted. There's been a, a recent drama, I guess, drama in Eric. Quotes, uh, a memeable <laughs> event, maybe we could call it. Um, the ECI, the esports certification. Um, it was a, a, a cross section of esports and academia in a certification package designed to be a little more accessible, a lower price point. Um, and it, it, it didn't get received so well. I think it was launched what, two days ago now, and then yesterday it got taken down. Um, I saw that you were on the Four Horsemen yesterday. I watched a, a chunk of that. That was a, a pretty intense, we'll call it a debate, I guess, if that. That's that's what you want to call it. Um, kudos to you, first off, man. That's that's a, a brave invitation. I saw Richard or Monty or Thorne or one of them tweeted like the man that shall never be called a coward. I was like, wow, that's uh, a, a a big title from that from that group. Um, so, you know, welcome to fun. the show, man. Thanks for being Thanks. here. I appreciate it. <laughs> Thanks for having me, man. Thanks for having me. I I, I mean, it's look, it, it was I, I think. The reception slash what people have been saying about that is far different from how I felt in the moment. Right at the moment, I was just like, "Hey, like, I, you know, I, I, def- I know why I did what I did. It's a lot easier to have conversations <laughs> when you know when you know like the reasoning behind it, right? So it's like, oh, like it's. Um, other right. than that, I just hope we just got our points across and we don't affect the overall conversation around hiring practices in the space. So, well, I to. To your credit, I agree with you that I think hiring in esports is a little bit of a mess. Um, I was going to say right now, but it kind of has been forever, which might be just part of a, being a budding industry that has low infrastructure and doesn't have um, a lot of clear paths. If somebody in high school says, I know I want to be an esports commentator, 
okay, what do you do? Is the best path a, a traditional broadcasting degree? Is the best path just to dive in? Is it to try to find a mentorship? Is it just a dice roll of getting lucky with applications to get that first shot? And then you, you know, you get a gig and you can leverage that to get another gig. I don't think there's a, a clear, obvious path for people to take. And you can look at the other side of the equation, not just from like the student perspective, how do I get the skills, but from the employer perspective, how do I find the people with the skills that'll be a good fit for my culture and my crew? Um, right, so, right. Like I think the, the, the problem is well established here, you know? Right, right. And, and I hope it is. I hope it is. I, certainly, I, I think it's probably worth clearing up that, you know, we made a lot of mistakes on top to bottom. Right. We made a lot of mistakes. One of the biggest ones, I think, in addition, was just a lot of the messaging around who this was for. Right. It's to your point, it's not for a shoutcaster. I have no idea the skills and necessities <laughs> it takes to become a shoutcaster. I, I know a bunch of them and, and they're all unique in their own way, really. And then the way they go about doing their business is, is unique to them. I, I would say, you know, just to take a step back, the the thing I think we want to avoid, especially in this nascent industry, and something that I, I think about a lot, is if you look at the model that entertainment has traditionally taken, right? It's been a lot of mail rooms, has it's a lot of unpaid internships, it's a lot of this rather specifically targeted towards people who you know come from an affluent or connected or mainstream enough background that they can like survive that like path to discovery, right? Mm -hmm. Like I think the like William Morris, Morris um, CAA agency model is very much a, hey, you're in there with a group of like eight people getting paid nothing and you have to live in LA on that nothing. And you have to like someone network and hustle, et cetera, your way in. And so as a result, you see entertainment filled with a very specific type of person, mm -hmm. like a very specific monolithic type of person. And I certainly think esports on a lot of the ways is opening. But in a lot of ways, especially on the on the hiring side, uh, it, it does all sorts of funky things where it's it, it succumbs to a lot of implicit biases you'd imagine mm -hmm. people have when they hire people in this manner. Yeah, I, I, it's hard from a hiring perspective when you know, like you have this sea of people that are all really eager, and you know that. A lot of them, I would even say most of them, don't really want the job that you've posted. What they want is the illusion of the job that you've posted because they've never worked in esports before. They don't actually know what it's like to work live events or you know have your, your entire life unravel before your eyes. Uh, but they see the glamour on the broadcast and think that's that's what it is. And that right. is another big struggle that I've had on well, like the <laughs> event side because. And it's, it's hard, too, because we don't do regular events at Moonduck. We might do one LAN every two years. So I don't have full-time employees or full-time contractors, but mm. there's sort of this list of go-to, hey, man, are you available, like, around these dates? So there's always a need for hiring, right? We never are able to get the exact same group of contractors for every single event. And every time we open up the floodgates, it gets really, really hard to vet people because... Like all of the degrees seem like equally meaningless. None of them are really related to esports. And then, unless you have somebody who's really, really credentialed, like an esports veteran, those are the two opposites. You get the esports veteran who's overqualified for everything, and the total noob who's like barely qualified for an internship. There, there's a big gap in the middle there in terms of specific skill sets and people that have really like developed them out well. And how many applications are you getting when you open up for the event? By the way, is it uh, like? 
It depends. It's it's usually in like high double digits to low triple digits. It, de- it depends what it is and how specific. I've I've tried to get better at posting, uh, making job postings that they don't scare people, but are very like <laughs> this is not entry level. Like y- you should have sure, worked sure. an event before, so that helps a lot. But at the mm-hmm. beginning, when we were like, "Hey, we're looking for volunteer moderators for our Twitch chat," oh, not like not even worth reading the emails because you have literally no mechanism to vet them. It's just right. three hundred eager people. I don't know who's actually going to show up or not, and that's that's right, just right. like. I don't know. That's hard. And obviously, moderation is not necessarily the realm you guys were focused on. But um, so maybe we could dive into the nuts and bolts. I, I have sure, to admit, sure. um, you know, so like I saw a lot of memes on Twitter and I, I don't know real questions from the meme questions on your exam. And that was one <laughs> of the things that people really like really dunked on you guys for the hardest, I think, looking at some of the specific exam uh, questions. So I'm curious, like, how did, how did that, what was it, the sample exam or whatever it was, uh, the practice exam, how did you guys create that? Who wrote the questions? Who's that geared for? Give me like the, the background story on the practice uh, exam itself. Yeah, yeah. So what's, what's fun about the practice exam was that the questions there weren't reflective of or reflective as like an easier or like different version of the actual ones on the test. They're more about practicing the form of test taking mm-hmm. than it was about the actual specific content. The there are two or three sections that are probably worth mentioning. One is like the essay section, right? Which is like, hey, like here is a quote unquote problem you see in esports. Give us a few examples of like how you would try to solve this, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I think people took away from that. We need to do a lot more writing. We need to understand English and stuff like that. And it was more, it was, that was not what it was saying. The, frankly, the, the exam itself was saying, hey, like, here's a problem that you see in esports. Team, you're sponsoring a team. Team leaves a game that you love. Now, what do you do? How do you handle this? Right? How, what is the <laughs> mechanism to, what do you think the mechanism is to like get your sponsorship dollars to get to the place you want to be? Uh, there's a math section. The math section was vetted by just like, of educational specialists. I think that was actually a mistake. If I were to redo, and I think that's one of the first thing that we pushed for was we went through a lot of it. Like we know for a fact that when we're talking to people about entry level business roles, like either sales or, or, or social ops or whatnot, Mm -hmm. that they're like, Hey, it really sucks when people don't know math, they don't know how to read a Twitch stream number, right? Like if they receive a deck, from a streamer or from a content house or from a team, how do you, what do you, what's the difference between average and peak concurrence and how do you understand that? Mm-hmm. Uh, you need to pr- understand what average versus median is. You need to probably understand like ranges of numbers that you definitely need Basic to do. Basic statistics, yeah. Right, right. You need to be and able think, to interpret a data set. Absolutely. I right, think, right. I think that's so, a, a fair skill set to say is required for esports, no doubt. Um, for, I think unfortunately, and this is pretty unfortunate, I think we, um, in relying on some of the more like traditional education <laughs> test creation pathways. Like I think a lot of our questions came out geared, hey, like this is just like almost like math 101. Now granted, for, for what's worth, if you can't answer like math 101 questions, then like we should have a conversation yeah. and we should like get you up to speed. But I think there are certainly things like, hey, what's if the standard deviation is this and the median's this, like what is two standard or three standard deviations away, mm-hmm. et cetera. That was incorrect, right? Like, I think that was a, certainly a hard miss, and there are a lot of questions like that. The third section I'm actually pretty proud of, as an aside, um, which is like in the esports comprehension section. You know, that mm-hmm. was like built together with um, input from like we we asked advisory board members and members and hiring managers and recruiters across the industry 
to be like, hey, could you send in some like 10 questions of questions you'd like to ask or you want your candidates to know? That, I think, turned out pretty well. I, I think the example questions weren't um, out of scope relative to what people would have saw on the final certification exam. Uh, I think those are just generally good questions. I think questions like, hey, how do, how do most organizations make money? Is it from... Yeah. Sponsor sales or is it from something else? So. Well, so w- one thing that I think got lost in translation, you know, anything, something goes a little viral on Twitter, wherever it starts, it gets compounded like 10 to 100x in terms of ridiculousness, right? So it does get a little disingenuous at a certain point. But, you know, the, the Me Too movement in gaming is still fresh in my mind. And there were a lot of moments in reading some of that stuff where it's like, damn, people really need some basic like this is how you interact with other humans 101. Right. And then you have this sample exam where there's a question on there like true or false. A team manager at an after party is off the clock and everyone's like dunking on that question like this is fucking stupid. This is an easy answer. Like, well, yeah, to you. Right. But you're projecting your lived experience and your understanding of social interactions onto everyone else in the world. And if you think about who this test is geared for, who the certification is geared for, it's geared for younger people that are kind of uneducated, that want to get into esports. So covering some of the bases, to me, is not a bad idea. Yeah, that's an easy question. That should be a fucking layup. Everybody should know the answer to that question. Team manager is still on the clock at an after party. Just because you're drinking with people at an after party doesn't mean you're off the clock. Easy answer. But having that discussion, there there might be somebody listening right now who's like, oh, yeah, I guess you're right. You're not. It's not yeah. really a party, <laughs> is it? It says party, but it's not really a party. Firmly reiterating that, I think, is only a net gain. Yeah. Um, but by the way, the my favorite thing about because I, I read most of it, was, it got harder as time went on, because I think we started <laughs> to hit like literally 13 million like responses. But like um I was reading a bunch of responses. What was funny to me and still is funny to this day, and, and part of the reason why I think this is probably still necessary in some form, is people are like, this is an obvious answer, but they were giving two different answers for a true <laughs> or false question. Like, how is that okay? Right? People are like, obviously, if it's an after party, you're off the clock. I only work nine to five. <laughs> right? So I'm allowed to drink and hit on people at this after party and esports event. Uh, like I'm not working right now, like and and by the way that was like and then there's the other side which I think is like the for what for what's worth just for anyone who's listening the correct answer is you're on the clock uh, just just to be clear uh, but the <laughs> but the other side people are like this is so obvious like why are you being either like uh, why are you being patronizing like yeah. everyone know this answer like that was like the two sides of it and I always find this super interesting when the feedback is so polarized like that. Yeah, no, definitely. And some it, it's it's telling of something. I guess I don't know exactly how to interpret that. Um, but yeah, I and it's sort of to also echo your a point you made earlier uh, um, about like math skills. I, I agree wholeheartedly. Um, at, at Moonduck, I, I don't do this anymore, but we used to be one of those like if you've got a degree that goes a long way with us. Partially because most of the founders at Moonduck are have college degrees, so we're a little mm-hmm. biased of like yeah, college isn't a total waste of time. Uh, but it was always sort of this natural vetting tool of generally speaking, just in aggregate, candidates that had a bachelor's versus didn't were more well-rounded with speaking, mathematics, writing, just the general. If I were to assign you some task to write some basic copy for a tweet or something, um, anecdotally, I've noticed correlation there. 
writing skills really matter. And as someone who's spent a lot of time writing, it's really, really mentally draining to have to constantly it's like you have to manage it's like it's not their fault they're not a good writer but it's like that is a useful skill that translates into everything and i i am a firm believer even if people don't admit it people are judging you based on your inability to write uh whether they say it to your face or whether you you really digest it people are reading what you're writing and go oh my god i can't believe they wrote this um, I think those fundamental skills are fundamental for a fucking reason, man. They're prolific in every aspect of our industry. So again, I sort of agree with you that like creating this foundation is not a bad idea. And I'm starting to wonder if maybe it's like the, the content of this thing wasn't necessarily the worst part, but who is it for? The, the mm. messaging and getting like getting in touch with that target demographic that is in need of this kind of basic, well-rounded, like university or college was never really going to be an option for them, whether it be financial or whatever other reason. Um, there might be a demographic for this, but it seems like people were applying the test to almost like the wrong demographic. Is that a, a fair bit of analysis? Yeah, I, I think even a fair way to say that is just we messed up a lot, right? I think the rollouts, the announcement was was pretty poor. And well, the problem there also is just messaging was pretty bad, right? This was never for, if you're already in the esports industry, if you've already like hustled your way to getting a role in the space, kudos to you, right? Like go, go have fun, go work hard. Welcome to an industry that is sort of really hard to survive in, right? And good yeah. luck, good luck in your journey. You know, this thing was specifically for entry level people, right? specifically for entry level business roles. Mm -hmm. And honestly, the target were people who aren't the type of person who can go out and network at events, who aren't able to, who don't feel comfortable, you know, reaching out, walking up to random people. That that's a weird skill set, in my opinion, to select for. Like, I mean, it's a useful skill set specifically for content creators, right? Like, yeah. good for them. But like, if you're like trying to be a back end account manager, right? Like a B two C account <laughs> manager, like you just need to be able to like write proper emails, understand yeah. the data you're looking at, and then work really hard. And, and I think what's missed, especially across brands and other parts, is that you know, as esports grows, and, and it's grown a ton the last eight-ish years, and it's going to grow a ton more in the next 10, you need more people, more qualified people to yes. be in this space. And, and I think we really mess up that messaging because you know, our plan, frankly, and this is probably naive in retrospect, was... You know, we we do a launch like on Tuesday. We would get some feedback. Some people will talk about. Some people won't. Like, whatever. The following day, following day, we would announce like the next bit of it, which is hey, like the you know, as a public benefit corporation, you know, our mission is specifically around you know uh, improving diversity, inclusion, mm -hmm. fostering professionally, promoting meritocracy. To that end, you know, here is our like scholarship program. You probably saw on our website. We, let's go in depth about it. Let's have like this long tweet together about that. Mm -hmm. On Thursday, it was supposed to be a hey, here are the like hundred fee waivers we have. You're the first dozen <laughs> people who've already applied. Um, oh no! So there was a whole rollout strategy. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. Uh, like there, uh, these are the fee waivers. Like here's how you apply for them. Here are the people who've already applied. Like here's oh, how you demonstrate man. financial need. Right. Like we're very much not a. Like it's, we want people to be like, hey, like if you can demonstrate financial need, we, we'd love to like get you a fee waiver no matter who it is. And here is a partner universities and companies that we're yeah. working with. Um, instead, what came across was, hey, this is for every role in the position, <laughs> right? Like that's not true. Yeah. Everyone needs to take this in order to survive and get jobs. Not true, right? Like 
there yeah. are a lot of uh and then by the way like i think the thing that we didn't control and how we could never control but was was really jarring and something i should have expected because it's how media works is no one reads the article right so they just read the top line <laughs> headline yeah and a lot of top line headlines were org attempts to take over industry charge four hundred dollars for people right as opposed to <laughs> hey by the way like we're like you know the the charters doesn't allow us to make money that much you know like it's yeah. like it's enough to pay off our staff and stuff like that so yeah um yeah, that, that, that is a bit of a shame, but you're, you're definitely right. I've stepped in that before where you try to get like a, a really zingy, like a well-written title that's going to get clicks, but then sometimes that can backfire because if the context is in the article, as you said, nobody reads the article, then once it goes viral based on the headline, you're like fighting fire with a water gun, trying to be like, guys, but please just read my article and then you'll understand, like pumping your little water gun and it just doesn't... It just doesn't work. You know, it doesn't really matter if you're right at the end of the day. It's like purely a marketing optics. Like that's kind of the nature of the the Twitter echo chamber a little right. bit. And, um, and by the way, I just want to be also clear that there were a lot of things wrong with the certification and in the exam in its in its form, right? I think certainly we we made a bunch of mistakes. Our our goal was to iterate on this thing, right? I was mm -hmm. like, hey, get that out there, get feedback, go from there. And and to that extent, uh, many kudos to a lot of the people in the industry who like reached out either privately or in DMs or an email mm -hmm. or just called me who were like, hey, like, here, here's our feedback. We got some really thoughtful stuff out there. Yeah. We, we heard some really thoughtful threats from really awesome people as well who you know, I don't know very well. Um, we also had a lot of like memes, right? But like, I think there's in, in between all that was some really good feedback and mm -hmm. um, much appreciation to all those people. Well, so I'm I'm curious. This is sort of like a twofold question, uh, but I'm curious uh, where you rate programs like this that are definitively entry level and at a much lower pro price point uh, versus these esports bachelor's programs, which are starting to pop up now, like a four year bachelor's degree in esports management or something like that. Mm -hmm. um, and then I'd say maybe the the last step on that continuum are like these kind of higher and these don't really exist as much yet, but these sort of hybrid like a a traditional business administration degree from a reputable university that maybe brings in some special lecturers to do some specific esports courses. But it kind of like my entrepreneurship degree, it was basically a small business degree with like right, right. three creative innovation courses mixed in there. That kind of a thing. Yeah, um, that's... <laughs> Uh, I, I have a lot of opinions about this kind of stuff, as you might imagine. I actually think for the most part, the vast majority, I'm not going to sell all of them because I think there are some people trying to do some really good stuff out there, but the vast majority of four-year esports degrees are BS. Yeah. I, I think one- Not a Bachelor just, of Science. Bullshit. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, oh, I forgot how much I can curse on this. Thing. Yeah. It's, 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 they're just, a lot of them are bullshit. A lot of them are people who just, look- what people don't talk about in higher education is that it's a recruiting game, right? You have to get seats into your chairs. It's a marketing There's game. a crunch happening in higher education where, you know, your top 20, top 50, top 100 universities in the country, they're always going to have a ton of people coming there. That's not a big deal at all. Mm -hmm. You don't see those universities, by the way, putting together four-year esports degrees, right? Like that's right. not happening at those universities. They're happening at universities that are a little bit more strapped for cash, a little bit more strapped for headcount. And some people have great intentions. Right. Like some people, I, I you know, I've, some people have reached out to me. I've talked to some of them. They're really trying. And I think those programs are going to be awesome sometime soon. Right. That's not the case for everyone. A lot of them are just slapping together, you say, a couple of different words and hoping for the best. 
just from a personal note on the sports side, right? On the sports side, uh, I, I'm a huge advocate for people to never get a sports management degree. A sports right? like, management degree. Okay. Yeah. I don't yeah. know so many people with that. So that's... Oh, yeah. There are far more people who have our aspirational. You know, this is sort of like just the background on the NBA side, right? Having worked there for a few years. There's a bunch, there's a bunch of people who go and get sports management degrees at universities thinking that that's the pathway into working in traditional sports, hmm. right? There are some okay. great sports management programs that teach you the like business science and the business strategy of sports management. Right. Those are just educational pursuits. I, I'm a huge fan of those, by the way, like the people who are like, hey, like I want to study the art of sports management. I want to be like a professor, an academic. Kudos to you. I'm, I'm OK with that. But it's just it's just really not like I don't know if a sports management degree has ever helped anyone move up in esports. Yeah. You know, like, or, or in traditional sports, rather. Like, I don't think that's the mechanism. That's not it. So I say definitely not in esports. In traditional sports, uh, hard for me to say, but uh, it, it feels a little bit like one of those jack of all trades degrees, master of none. Just you know, glancing at it here from a, as an outsider. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that, that was sort of my experience on the on the NBA side with the Rockets. Was just like, hey, like we saw this degree and it wasn't what's up, and and we saw esports degrees in the other ways as well. They're they're they just honestly often the the there's some that again run by really interesting people, really interesting lectures, yeah. really interesting groups. But the vast majority of them, you know, I think it's like something that we've been talking about a lot recently. It's like, you know, those people who worked in esports for a couple of years, but got kicked out, mm -hmm. not, not like left on their own accord, but got kicked out either for just being really bad at their jobs or just being not good human beings. Mm -hmm. And yeah. there's at least a half dozen off the top of my head. And I'm sure you probably know some of the people involved in those too, if you remember, of where the, the entire university's esports course and degree is based on that person's opinion of esports. Yes. Um, you know, th there was there was a man who no longer works in Dota 2 with an Australian accent that lived in London. That should narrow it down for you. Uh, mm -hmm. Probably still lives in London, I guess. I don't really know. You know that right before Me Too, his big project was a thing called Farsight Academy, which was going to be him doing something with i don't know if there was a certification or if i don't know i don't i never really understood the scope of it whether it was a technical degree or a cert or what but it was going to be this like commentator esports academy thing and the whole idea was leveraged around his face his brand his star power his two hundred thousand twitter followers um and from what I understand, it was kind of working. Like London is a really good spot to try mm. to do something like that. And I think they already had some preliminary students lined up. They had pictures of, you know, Mr. T up there doing stuff at the, the whiteboard, talking about being a commentator. It's weird to draw that line because in some ways he has the credentials as a commentator to talk about doing commentary. But is it a commentary course or is it an esports course? Um, and then how do we like decide? Because like, he's got a check mark on Twitter. All of a sudden, this guy is like the guy that is, is there to teach esports across the entire spectrum uh, and charge top dollar for it. It it's murky, man. I don't know. Like, where, where, how do you pull out the actual utility of this is education from this is sort of just a big marketing machine based on this right. person's brand and ego? Um, and then how do we verify that they're actually like? giving them good, useful information. Sure, you can make these kind of like free market. Well, if it sucks, then people will complain. And then, But that is a shitty sort of, a lot of people get hurt in that system in the meantime and lose their money while the market works itself out, right? For sure, for sure. Uh, 
there, there aren't great solutions to the prevention of stuff like that. I, I think at the end of the day, you, what you want and what you need is for, for people to approach it or you have to trust the people who are working on it, honestly. Like, I think that's number one. Like, you have to trust that the person who's working on it or the people who are working on it are doing it in good faith. You would hope that there is some type of check and balance on them, right? That they have built out a group of people that, you know, can check and balance against the the bits of the... You hope they go about it with integrity, that they care about their own reputation and brand enough that, like, there's a selfish degree of, don't you care about your own shit enough to, like, not make this a grift and actually do something that provides value that to me, right, that's right. like the, the one big check that we have, which the is a shitty thing, one. Yeah. The <laughs> other thing was sort of amusing is it's also helpful if the person's like, like, and this is sort of like true for like a lot of the patronage and that happened like for the last few hundred years, I've been reading a bunch on, you know, stuff that happened in the early 1900s in America, for example, around like who funded the newspapers. Mm-hmm. And it's just a lot easier mm-hmm. for people to be incredibly, high integrity, high value, and high approach when they're just like independently wealthy. Right? <laughs> I think it's, where, like, where it's like provably the case that the thing that they're working on is not going to be a meaningful amount of money to them, that you can, like, you can like start to remove the like fiscal component to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know the answer. I mean, I thought the answer was, hey, get together a bunch of people who I know really care about the space to keep the organization in check mm-hmm. and then to empower the organization to people who are incredibly idealistic. So they can go off and run it, right? Yeah, like exactly. I might think lost in this lost in the shuffle around ECI was like, look, I like like none of us were working. We all have full time jobs. Like we all are working other things, and it was one of those things where I that was really important to me. Like it was important for me that no one was working on this thing on the advisory or board level full time because mm-hmm. it was like, hey, like you know, part of what corrupts a lot of these programs is that they become like serious revenue for people. Right. right. Like the entire, and so you have to work a lot on structure and incentive design to prevent people from like ever viewing this as actual money. Well, so the other side is tough too, though, because if you go too far the other way, then you have this group of really talented people, but nobody's incentivized to really give a shit about the project at hand. It's forever right, right. like lower on the totem pole on the back burner because everyone's making all their money working 60 hours a week being the CEO of Evil Geniuses. You don't have any right, bandwidth right. left no, over for education. That, that, by the way, is one of the biggest issues I saw with a lot of nonprofits in our space, right? Like there are a ton of yeah. these awesome sounding high integrity nonprofits. And I think everyone involved, like the people who created a lot of these people, I really respect high integrity Mm -hmm. human beings, right? Here's the downside of these things, man. Like it's just so hard for anyone to grab time, right? Like people find themselves in these like massive cycles and, and they have a couple of bad experiences and it's done, right? Like I, I, um, I remember this was this one mentorship slash um, volunteer program I was helping out with a couple of years ago when I was in Houston. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they were like, hey, like, we would love for you to talk to this student. Like, the student's really interested in esports and gaming. Let's have a conversation. I'm like, that's fine. Um, I, let's let's grab, I'll, let's have some time for coffee. Um, he can come over to the arena and we can grab a coffee and we can have a conversation about this, right? And I can like be like, try to like support in that way. Mm -hmm. And I was in LA for, for work. Right. And so I fly back to Houston that day, right? Like at 4 PM, (laughs) head into the office and it's a no show, right? The, the, the kid doesn't show up. And I remember thinking to myself, wow, like this feels so bad, (laughs) right? Like it's, I I got stood up by a kid I'm trying to help. Right. And I think 
when you don't have some of those processes, when you when you have organizations that like are like purely nonprofit and don't have sort of just levers, and you don't have people operationally running them, it, you're right. Like it goes the opposite way where you have one mess up or you have a really like if a lot of your people who you're, if you're trying to help out people in the Dota community, TI rolls around, you're not gonna see anyone for six weeks, right? Right, like, right. Exactly. Like how do you deal with that? So yeah, it's I mean, all of esports is sort of cyclical like that. Very few things run on this like really regular cadence, um, at least, you know, like all year round. At the very least, we're seasonal, if not cyclical. Um one thing that surprised me about the the ECI thing, I mean, you you guys had some impressive names on like the advisory board and just it, somehow touching this project. And one of the things that surprised me the most was that uh, at least one of them. I'm not going to drop names, but uh, one that I've talked to about hiring stuff. Um, you know, I've I've spoken at a handful of universities. I was trying to do it more, and then mm -hmm. COVID happened, so I I haven't been doing it as much. Um, but one truth that I've heard echoed by a lot of parties from real like S tier esports organizations that we hire best in class for the role. If we need a marketing person, we don't want, I have an associate's in marketing, but I have 10 years experience in esports. They want, you have a bachelor's in marketing, you've got a few years of real world work experience working in marketing for another big reputable company. Esports are not pretty irrelevant. Mm -hmm. You just need that real world experience. And then having some esports passion on the side is a good thing. Like the sweet spot is you're mostly a professional in that role, but you're, you're like esports adjacent. You're aware of it. You like it. You have some passion for it. You'd love to work in the industry, but you're not selling your resume on this esports. You're selling your resume on a, a specific fucking skill that you have. Mm. Um, I was surprised to see some, some names that I had heard say that pretty loudly and confidently sort of check the box off of, okay, now we're doing a generalist esports certificate. Curious, I, I don't know what the question is there. That's just an observation no, I no, had. That I, was it's, maybe the first thing that I went, oh, this is kind of weird. Um, yeah, yeah. So I think I think both of those things can be true. One of my favorite stories right now is a gentleman by the name of Brandon Schneider. Brandon Schneider is, a, is going to be the president of the Golden State Warriors next year. Oh, okay. Like, um, Rick Welts, who's an awesome, awesome, awesome executive trailblazer, like first openly gay, uh, like president of a, of, a, of a North American sports team, really great guy retiring. Brandon is, is, is his successor in that role. Brandon started at the Warriors 20 years ago at like age 20, <laughs> right? Oh, like wow. as an ent entry level, like salesperson, worked all the, his way all the way up to all the different parts of the organization ran like strategy, ran like revenues, like all that stuff. And he got there, right? Mm -hmm. We don't have stories like that in esports anymore. Yeah. Right now. We had them a lot more a few years ago, but right now we don't have them in part because I, I actually do that. think that because it's been so hard to identify in the esports funnel, what this experience means, right? Like someone can claim four years of esports experience, and their four years are so varied in terms of like what they actually amount to an ability hmm. that like a lot of people I've talked to, uh, both, you know, some people on who on the advisory board, but also people just in the space in general, they're, they're like, when, when we grab pre-COVID, when we grab meals or dinner, they're like, my strategy for best, best hiring is I count esports experience as a negative, <laughs> right? Like every year of esports experience you have, 
is is signal that you're not smart enough to know that this is not where you should be right like, <laughs> i've heard this comment over I and over again i've and, heard it and and it sucks right because you want the space to be able to promote from within you want people to be able yeah. to move up in the space and that's just not happening because frankly and i don't think this is actually i, I don't blame the people from doing this like your job when you run a business i've, I've had the good fortune of running a few businesses is you just gotta make sure it works. Like you gotta make yeah. the money, right? You gotta pay your staff, right? Yeah. Uh, but like, given that, like, how do you deal with, how do you deal with sort of the awfulness of when people who you're interviewing who are like, hey, I've been an esports social marketer for five years, and here's my path to success. I went from social media manager to senior social me social media manager for another organization to like social, uh, to director of marketing here. And I, I was recently a VP of marketing here. And you see that interview, right? And you're like, wow, this is like a lot of good esports experience. They truly understand mm -hmm. esports marketing. You hire them to be either a VP or SVP or CMO level person. And they're awful. They're <laughs> awful. They have been getting fired from every job they had. You know exactly the people I'm talking about, right? Yep. Like, yep, and yep, so, yep. And so like, there's a bunch of people, myself included, by the way, who've just been, uh, do you know the number of esports salespeople I've hired and <laughs> let go over the last few years? Like the number of people who tell me they're like, just awesome and they've been doing this for a while and it just doesn't work out, right? Yeah. That, that happens so often. And, and I don't know what, frankly, I don't know what the solution is. Yeah. Other than trying to like figure out a way to all come to an agreement, like what this experience should look like, because frankly, that really hurts like there, there are also social yeah. media managers I, out there I know are social people who are senior marketers or um, directors of marketing right now who are goddamn awesome. Yeah. I, like top of mind, um, people like I'm, I'm, this is the part where I can actually say names because I think it's fine. <laughs> like I think Julia Wu over 100 Thieves and the work she's done for 100 Thieves over the last few years is freaking amazing. Mm -hmm. Right. Like I think she's really crushing it out there. Yeah. Uh, and I think there's a lot of people who share that opinion. Uh, and I don't think she in particular will have this problem because I think there, she's well known enough for, for stuff like that. But it, it's really annoying. It's really concerning. Yeah. Well, so I mean, it's one thing in these kind of wild, wild west type entrepreneurial industries like esports, you see a lot of people on Twitter that sometimes you think, wow, they've worked for a lot of orgs. There's Blizzard on there. There's IGN on there. There's Riot on there. <laughs> yeah, a couple up? others. Yeah, exactly. But then if, if, you, if you're an insider and you kind of know the scoop, it's like, okay, that company went bankrupt. Okay, you were fired from that one. Okay, that department was closed. So you weren't fired, but you were laid off because your department didn't provide enough value. Uh, it's like you look at all the stories it's like you were kind of let go from all of these none of these were really a big win you got a job and then you couldn't hang on to it for very long but when you don't see the resume and it's just previous at hearthstone at all these really big you know it's like a dota caster saying previously at dota 2 it's like no right no right. no 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 right. no 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 let's not start this fucking game um so that that is definitely um an angle of it, I would say. Um, what do you think about gatekeeping? As I, I got, I did a Zayori plus one with Richard Lewis, I guess like eight months ago or six months ago or something. Um, it was a, a really awesome podcast. We got onto this topic of gatekeeping and I felt completely unprepared and I got raked over the coals by my audience for Richard um, sharing all of his thoughts about gatekeeping and me not really pushing back or having mm. any anything thoughtful to add to the conversation. 
Um, and I, I didn't watch the entire Four Horsemen podcast yesterday because it was on during DPC, but I was watching kind of like in between panels and stuff. And I don't know if you guys actually went deep on the gatekeeping stuff, um, but I'm curious where you rank on this. And I guess as a, a little preface here, um, if I could try to summarize Richard's position a little bit, I think gatekeeping in the context of like, you know, sexism or homophobia, that is terrible. And nobody supports that. He talks about gatekeeping in the sense of keeping bad actors out of esports. And like the quintessential, quintessential example I always go back to is Oscar, GESC. Uh, that dude was like a bad actor, right? Mm-hmm. And I was one of the people that gave him free consulting. I met him at TI, whatever it was. He asked me all these questions. He bought me a beer. We watched some games together. I probably gave him three hours of legitimate, valuable esports consulting. Simply because I had a love of the game and I thought he was, quote, a good guy. I got got by a salesman, right? Um, And I think that's more of an example of what Richard talks about of like, we need to gatekeep from those people. You need to have a high, high, high filter, high barrier, and only let people into the barrier that you've actually vetted and that you trust. And that I, like, basically, I think he would say, I did a disservice to myself, my game, and my industry by giving that valuable information to some asshole that was going to fuck people over with it. Like actually yeah. create harm in the space by not paying teams, not paying casters, um, and and regressing all of the stuff that we've built. Um, so like from that context, is gatekeeping sometimes good? <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, look, I, I think there are a couple of things to unpack here, right? One, just to your story in particular, I think we have way too much hindsight bias when it comes to evaluating decisions, right? I think in the moment, I'm sure it was the right decision for you. Like I, I trust your yeah. judgment on that in particular. I like the opposite is we don't talk to people. We don't help anyone who wants to help out in the space work out. And, and then you actually prevent good people from coming in. True. Right. That is, that is the hardest bit of gatekeeping. That's the hardest bit of filters that prevent people in and out. It's a not, it's a non-trivial, not a very easy, not a very easy question to answer. I certainly think one of the things that, is particularly interesting is how do you balance how do you balance letting people in versus not letting bad actors in yeah. and i think there are two solutions that people come with and i think there are people on the two sides of this right one side is hey we should set the we should set a really high wall to jump if you can jump this wall and prove everything you're in then then you can even begin to come in here um, that has a lot of provable implicit bias yeah. into it, an explicit bias as well. Nepotism. The other way is to be the other way is to be super opening and then like try to solve it in post. That's also really problematic for other reasons, right? Because like to your point earlier about like educational programs, people get burned mm-hmm. on the way in and on the way out. The trick is trying to balance between the two, right? Yeah. Like I certainly think it's um, it's it's a hard question. To your to your actual initial question, is like what I think about gatekeeping. I think gatekeeping is a weird word. First, first of all, I think there there is like people sometimes view having experience as a form of gatekeeping, right? Like the people view mm-hmm. having um, expertise as a form of like, hey, you need like ten years of expertise to work in this role, right? No, th- those are those are requirements, right? <laughs> like, and yeah. I think it's and I think we sometimes conflate those two things. Uh, and I know Richard in particular believes like. Because he, he's so he's for gatekeeping in a lot of different ways, and and so there's a lot of like old school bridges civil service exam in a lot of I think that informs a lot of that thinking. I, mean, I can't say for sure, but it's it's something I've mm-hmm. heard from people where 
you know, in, in the UK, historically, you the only way to work in the civil service was you had to have gone to some of the top prep schools and scored the highest score and gone to top universities like Oxford or Cambridge. Mm -hmm. And then you, could, you would have a pathway into civil service. You could also get there by being like whip smart, not having that background and also still passing the exam. Um, that's really sort of the genesis of the SAT. Yeah. And, and by the way, it's something that like personally I benefited from, right? Like I didn't get to go up, like I went to public school all the way through, you know, high school, like mm -hmm. went like kid of immigrants and certainly my ability to take tests and my ability to showcase, hey, I, I know some of these things, I can prepare for some of these things and speak well, help propel me into my career. And, and I'm very lucky and fortunate that I had that even that chance when I've had that chance in other countries, right? right. This sort of, not, not to be too tangential, but this is why I actually like America in a lot of ways for all of its faults <laughs> is that like, it allows people like me to like have a shot in the world. Um, we do but, some stuff okay. It's not all bad. We do some something okay. <laughs> yeah, but I, I think that's that's the hurdle, right? So that's one side of it, which is how do you help identify people go through the the solution seems to be at least on civil service exam, especially in East in Eastern Asian countries, is you set a bar and then you just try to find people who can jump that bar and just like empower mm -hmm. them to jump the bar. Yeah. Right. And I think that is something that makes sense to me. Uh, it's these, these scans more philosophical, moral questions. For yeah, sure. you know, you're right. You're right. Um, and I, I don't know all the answers, like the gatekeeping thing. Ever since that conversation with Richard, I still feel like I, I oscillate kind of back and forth of, you know, I, I like what you said, maybe gatekeeping isn't always the right word. Like, how do we uh, d differentiate gatekeeping and requirements? It's sort of this like reasonable doubt thing. We need to come up with some, some kind of meaningful requirement that isn't doesn't feel like gatekeeping, but still recognizes, hey, you got to have A, B, C, D skills to be able to be considered for this. That's just the nature of you can't provide value in this role without those skills. That's not me yeah. trying to keep you out. It's just me not setting you up for failure. Because if you hire some of those people, they're, they're not going to succeed in that right, role if right. they don't have the skills, right? So yeah, it's, and that's a disservice as well. And one one more thing here, and this is going to be lost on Twitter, right? It's like, <laughs> Twitter's not a good place for nuance, but a sign of intelligence is to be able to hold two opposing views in your mind at the same time. Mm. And I think this is one of those things where it's so much easier to argue from the perspective of their gatekeeping is awesome. They're bad actors. We have to enforce all this gatekeeping, mm. which I think is where Richard is. Again, not trying to put words in his mouth, but I think that's where he falls on the spectrum. And then there are other people who are like, gatekeeping is awful in any form. Mm -hmm. Anytime anyone's prevented from coming in, it's a it's a travesty. And by the way, both of those positions are much easier to argue for because they have really straightforward pros and cons that they're accepting. Then I think the actual answer, which is a nuanced <laughs> middle ground. Yeah, yeah. Right. No, totally. I mean, that's that's the unfortunate reality of a lot of things. It's easy to talk about the extremes, and the real solution is some compromise in the middle that kind of takes the best of both extremes and combines them to make something that's uh, you know maybe a little bit more more useful. Um, we are starting to run low on time, but uh, I, I did have a conversation with a student. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with the Staffordshire uh, esports program in uh, the, in London and Stoke on Trent. It's a UK 
thing. Uh, but it exactly fits into what you described earlier in this podcast of these smaller universities looking to make the, a name for themselves, uh, kind of leveraging esports almost from a marketing perspective. They have a mm -hmm. three or four year bachelor's in esports management. I actually applied to be a lecturer uh, at, at this university. They offered me a job and I ended up turning it down. This was last year, uh, mm -hmm. almost exactly COVID. a year ago. Yeah, COVID was a big part of it, but it was also uh, when I had the job offer in my inbox was when Red Eye went on this big Twitter tirade against them because they had tweeted some marketing material about how uh, soon degrees will be required to work in esports. They're like, that's the inevitable future of this of this industry. Um, they tried to draw the parallel of like the first animation course that was created in the 60s or 70s or whatever. That was a joke. That was ridiculous. But now it's a totally established industry. Esports is going to be exactly the same. And as you can imagine, they got blasted to all hell for that. I got cold feet and went, okay, maybe you guys really don't get this. I don't want to ruin my brand by going. And I, there sure, was sure. stuff in my contract of like, I would have had to help them recruit. I, they probably would have tried to commandeer my social media for a lot of their um, their stuff. And it, it would have been a whole thing. So, and the pay was shit. So I could have made a lot more money just being a commentator and having more fun. So it just didn't make sense. Um, but a few months ago, I spoke to a student who did that program. Um, and she made a big stink on Twitter and Twitch about how the program is not even close to what they promised it to be. Um, they have students that are in their second year. They haven't even figured out what the third year of the program is. It is the most, I mean, we don't have time to like dive into the website <laughs> and stuff, but it is the most esports generalist degree oh, I've ever seen. It awesome. has a, a whole elective that's called esports broadcasting. Like, well, who the fuck yeah. is this for? What are you going to learn about broadcasting in one elective? Also, yeah. is anybody that's in this course trying to be a commentator? Or are you guys working event logistics? Like, what? It's just a, this giant esports amalgamation clusterfuck. Uh, and my point in bringing this up is that, unfortunately, I think you're like fighting this uphill battle where it's already been tarnished. People, that, that's what people see as the norm for esports and, and academia level education. So, it's, it's like an unfair lens that gets applied to anything new because people feel like they've already been burned by this grift and they're not going to be burned again. And what you're doing is so black and white different from what Staffordshire is doing. But unfortunately, you're compared on the same same kind of scale. Uh, you know, and, and, and I, I realize that for sure. I, I certainly think I think the idea that you need an you'll need a degree to do anything in this world is like definitely not true. I, one of the things that I want to advocate for certainly, and this is sort of a fun thing, right? Is, you know, we had, I think it was like 1200 paid downloads of the study guide. So people who have at least paid $1 and are paid what you can afford study guide. And we had like a few dozen signups on the certification itself, right? People pay the full price. And we had like over 107 or a hundred something, uh, applications for scholarships and fee waivers with some documentation attached to them. Mm -hmm. We refunded everything, obviously, and like we're, we reached out to them letting them know we're here to help. But I think that demonstrates such a need, right? I think the problem, oh, yeah. the problem right now is that like there are a lot of these bad pattern matches. I, I don't know the solution to how to solve for that. I do think there has to be other avenues, other pathways to get in. This is sort of back to your gatekeeping idea. It's like, hey, like you can have if you have a fence, but you have a bunch of doors, then that and the doors like help people get in, then you have an interesting border building situation, right? Mm -hmm. And so right now I feel like the only real proper way to get into esports is probably to do the whole hustle thing, right? The whole like show up to events, 
smile. Yep. Rob, go to events, meet people, and be memorable. Grow out some way, dreads, that... wear a funny hat. Just do something so people remember who you are. Yeah, but by the <laughs> way, you know, you know who that sucks for, man. That Everyone? sucks for. <laughs> Yeah, no, not just that, but it sucks for women, right? There yeah. are a lot of like not great people in the space who do some really awful things. Yep. It sucks for uh, BIPOC. It sucks for people in the LGBT community, people True. who don't have enough people in their corner in the space. It's much easier for me as a straight dude who speaks English to go grab and likes to drink to go <laughs> grab beers with people. True. Right? Like if you don't like to drink, that's also a, somehow a massive negative in this space, right? If Very you remember true. like... The old school dream hacks, like a lot uh, of the connections I remember yeah. I made were from like the barn parties after yeah. dream hacks, like back in the Hondas, right? Like that's, <sighs> yeah. and like, so how right. is that okay? Right? Like that's that, there has to be better ways for people to come in. I think for sure, and I want to be clear, I think ECI and the certification and where we were trying to miss the mark, like that's clear in that sense. I still think there's a lot to be done in this space. And there's still a gap there, 100%. There's still a gap. And, yeah. and I don't know what the solution is right now. I certainly think that it's worth thinking about. And, and I, I really hope that people, and this is the thing I'm worried about the most, by the way, I hope people don't come out of this conversation thinking, oh, you know, actually you just got to work hard. No, that's just survivorship bias, right? Like for all of you who like worked hard and like got there, there's like a hundred people who circumstances were different. They weren't necessarily better or worse than you, by the way. Some of them might have even been better than you. Like yeah. that's, I think, something I think I, about all the time. There are yeah. definitely better people in the world than me. I just got luckier or was in the right place, right time. Yeah, I always tell people that hard work and having that drive is that is part of the recipe for success, but that's the starting point. That doesn't guarantee success. Right. There's all these other things that come into line. I also tell people to bake it in esports or anywhere else. There is a degree of perseverance and serendipity that is undeniable. Yes, it takes hard work to get there, to put yourself into the position to realize the opportunities, but fundamentally, you need to be in the right place at the right time around the right people with the money to pay for your skills. And that that's the serendipity part, right? Me getting right. hired at BTS, I wasn't necessarily the best commentator. I was just the one that met LD in person, had a, a good way of talking. I had some confidence um, and I had some ideas, right? They, they believed in me as a person because of where I was and how I was carrying myself more so than what was actually on my resume. That right. was luck. That was dumb yeah. luck that I was at MLG and bumped into LD when he was going to get dinner. And he said, hey, man, you want to get dinner with me? I was in the right place at the right time, man. Yeah. And and I appreciate you a lot for for noticing that because I, I had the same thing, right? Like I, I bumped into Date Nine, like I bumped into Victor from Liquid, and those guys really helped me out in my early career, and they're great. Yeah. Right. I think certainly the TLDR though is the hope is we gotta create some other paths, right? Not everyone can afford to be at events, right? Not everyone yeah. has a car with enough gas in to get there. And some these people have some really good skills. Mm -hmm. Uh ECI missed the mark. On, on this one. I, I just hope that people don't come away with it thinking we just got reinforced sort of the like hand picking everyone hiring practice and instead mm -hmm. figure out another way to do. And, and I think to, um, to, on our end, a lot of our stuff is probably going to be in the coming days, weeks, months, maybe years, probably more behind the scenes, right? That's, mm -hmm. as you know, that's generally more how I've operated historically, right? More <laughs> yeah. on the business with people in terms of like being on socials up in front. And I think there are ways to move the industry forward, but certainly we got to make sure that we take one step at a time that, and not let perfection get in the way of progress. Absolutely. No, very well said, my friend. Um, I know you got to get out of here, so I, I won't eat up too much more of your time. Dude, I, I appreciate you coming on and being so candid about this. So much respect. 
just for just owning your shit. I think there's not enough of that in the industry and in the world right now. Um, it's hard to, to take chances, take risks. That's how great ideas are born. Sometimes it doesn't go the way you plan, but um, mad respect for just owning it, talking it through. I'm looking forward to future iterations, man. I agree with you wholeheartedly that there's a big gap here. Somebody's got to solve it. And if it's not me, if it's not you, someone's going to do it. Um, and we all have a vested interest to work on it. And I think conversations like this are the first step. So uh, mad respect, man. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Thanks a bunch, man. Thanks for having me. Cheers. Yeah. Take care. See you later. Good luck. Peace.